idea of, of kingdom, and we're looking at the idea of the kingdom of God and its beginning. Um, so we're going to be looking at another big historical event, which is it's the announcing of the arrival of the kingdom of God. Um, so we're going to start by reading from Matthew 4, verses 17 to 25. If you have a, a Bible with you, you can, you can open up and read it there, but it will appear on the screen here from the NLT. So Matthew 4, verses 17 to 25, the arrival of the kingdom. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed, epileptic, or paralyzed. He healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the Ten Towns, Jerusalem, all over Judea, and from the east of the Jordan River. This is the announcement of the arrival of the kingdom of God, another major historical event that really puts the other ones we looked at so far um, into the shadow. So these words uh, come from the Gospel of Matthew, one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And they are from really early on in the story. Some of the other Gospels uh, do have uh, some earlier events to happen, but this really is the first time that Jesus' teaching starts making some big waves. Matthew 4 tells us when Jesus started getting noticed. And immediately, we can see that Jesus is putting across a theme for his preaching. He's telling us there is a theme that he's going to talk repeatedly about from now on, and that is the kingdom of God, also called in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, now, uh, it's never proper, properly defined in the Bible what the kingdom of heaven is, um, because the people who Jesus was preaching to knew exactly what he meant. Um, they had an understanding and expectation of the kingdom of heaven. And for them, the kingdom of heaven, boiled down into its essence, was the reign of God. It was all that bows before him, all the work that he was doing to transform the world. It was the angels, it would become the church, and it would be all the things that they did not see God doing. It was the reign of God breaking into the world, and it was everything that recognizes that he was king. When Jesus announces that the kingdom of heaven is here, he is announcing that God has arrived as king, that his reign has begun, and that things were about to change. Something new had started, something big was kicking off, and it was going to be something grand and amazing. The kingdom of God had arrived. But what's remarkable about these verses is exactly how Jesus chooses to announce the kingdom. 
And I think we can learn about what God is doing in his kingdom and about how he's going to choose to build it by what Jesus does at the same time as he, when he's announcing the kingdom. Because in verse 17, Jesus does not just say, the kingdom is here. He also gives a command. He tells people how to respond to the reign of God arriving. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. And when he gives that command, what he's doing is he's calling people to turn away from their old lives, to, to give up their old sins, to abandon everything they're doing is wrong, and to come back to God, to come to what is good. He says, cry aloud. He's crying aloud, sorry. He says, turn around, because what you're doing needs to stop. And it needs to stop because the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has arrived. God has turned up. His reign is being established. And the only appropriate response to that is to repent, to turn around, and to follow him. He presents the people he's preaching to with both a challenge and an invitation. He challenges them because he says, you need to stop what you're doing. It's not okay. You need to repent. You are doing things that are wrong. Your hearts are in the wrong place. Evil was pervading that society, and Jesus was calling them out on it. They were doing stuff they should not be doing, and they were not doing things that they should be doing. They were sinning, and they needed to stop. But when he asked them to repent, he also gave them an invitation. Because when you call someone to repent, you're not just telling them off. You are inviting them to a better way. And Jesus was telling the crowd to stop following the wrong path, but at the same time, he was inviting them onto the right path. He was saying the kingdom of God has arrived. Would you like to join in? Would you like to, to leave behind what you were doing before? And would you like to be part of it? The kingdom of God is announced with a command to repent and with an invitation to join in. But that's not the only thing that's going on in these verses, because verse 17 does call for repentance, but the passage goes on. And in verse 23 and 24, something else happens entirely. It says, Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. The kingdom of God has been announced, and people are healed. Jesus pours out compassion through performing miracles. Miracles are acts of compassion when he heals everyone. He heals all kinds of diseases, and he heals all kinds of people. And from that point onward, the, the, the kingdom of God is associated with a power that is kind. A power that loves. A power that heals. Because Jesus, the king, takes time to care for those who are in need. So Jesus announces the arrival of his kingdom with a call to repentance and with a powerful outpouring of his compassion. I do not believe that is a coincidence. I think Jesus announces his kingdom and then begins to, to preach repentance and preach about healing people for a very important reason. Because I believe we can learn about the kingdom of God by those two things. And we can learn about the sort of king 
that Jesus is. In verse 23, Matthew describes Jesus' message as good news. Um, At least that's how the New Living Translation puts it. In the English Standard Version, it is described simply as gospel, because that is what gospel means, good news. Now, the gospel contains lots of religious connotations, but sometimes it's good just to remember that. It means good news. And this passage gives a glimpse into why the kingdom of God could be described as that, and why the reign of God, why the reign of Jesus Christ is good news for them uh, at the time when Jesus was preaching, but also for us today. Because when Jesus calls people to repent, he invites them to leave behind their sin and to come to him. An invitation is extended, a hand is reached out. And this is good news for those who need to repent, good news for the sinner. And it is good news for those who have lost their way, because Jesus at the beginning of his ministry says, come and follow me instead. I know you have lost your way, but turn around and follow me. It is an invitation. It is good news for all who live their lives for themselves. And when Jesus takes time to care for the sick, to have compassion, to heal them, he demonstrates his love and kindness for all those who are wounded and ill. This is good news for the sick and it is good news for the suffering. So here then are two things that we learn about the kingdom of God from this passage. It is a place where the sinner is saved and it's a place where the sick are restored. That is good news. That is gospel. Because Jesus' ministry left us in no doubt that he cared about sin. And he wanted us to, to do what is right. He wanted us to turn away from what was wrong. He makes repentance a priority. That's indicated by the fact that that's the first thing he says in these verses. But he also leaves us in no doubt that he cares about us too. He cares about our bodies, our lives, our illnesses as well. He has compassion for the lost, yes, but he also has compassion for the weak, for the needy, for the suffering. Let's take a look, for example, at Romans 8, 23, 25, which talks about the hope that we have for our bodies. It says, and we believers groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. And if we have something, we don't need to hope for it. But we look forward to something we don't yet have. We must wait patiently and confidently. Because the Christian hope is that one day Christ will restore the bodies of all his people. He will cure every illness. He will help the sick. He will restore us in body just as he is already starting to restore us in our hearts now. The Bible speaks about a God who cares about our souls, but also cares about our physical existence as well. Both those things are involved in the kingdom of God. And here in Matthew 4, Jesus gives people a foretaste of the kingdom's power. He heals them then and he heals them there. Now, Romans 8 is clear that the full healing has not yet arrived, 
but it is a foreshadowing of something to come. It is Jesus being compassionate and saying, there is more. This kingdom is good for you. Everyone in Matthew 4, yeah, they went on to die a natural death, but they were given a glimpse of the power of the kingdom to come in their lives right then, right there. And what they saw that day was that it was good news for both the spirit and the body. It was good news for both sinner and sick. The kingdom of God was good. Sean, do you want to put the uh, picture of that guy up? Does anyone know who this gentleman is? Nope. This man is George. Uh, George Ferdinand Mueller. Anyone recognize the name? Yep. Uh, he's a man who has had a huge impact on every single person here in this room, and you probably don't know about it. Uh, so let me tell you about George. Uh, George has an excellent beard, um, but a pretty bad mustache. Um, and I, I think that was a choice he made. Maybe it was fashionable at the time, but I do think his eyebrows are pretty good as well. Um, George has a, has a kind face, um, and that portrays the life that he lived. Um, I think first and foremost, um, he could be described as an evangelist, um, but also uh, a philanthropist, even though he wasn't rich, I guess. Um, he was born on 27th of September, 1805, and he lived until the 10th of March, 1898, when he died 92 years old, uh, which was pretty old for then. Uh, he lived almost a century, and the impact he had on the world was huge, and the impact he had on you guys was huge as well. Um, let me give you some highlights of his evangelism. In 1834, he founded something called the Scriptural Knowledge Institution for Home and Abroad. Um, by the time of his death, this organization had distributed 285,407 Bibles, 1,459,506 New Testaments, and 244,351 other religious texts. And those are printed in 20 different languages. In 1875, at the sprightly age of 71 years old, he decided to go with his wife on a 17-year mission trip. Okay? He visited England, Scotland, Ireland, Switzerland, Germany, Netherlands, Canada, the US, France, Spain, Italy, Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Turkey, Greece, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Bohemia, Russia, Poland, India, Wales, China, Japan, Singapore, and New Zealand, in that order, and most of them twice. Over 17 years with his wife, as he was in his 70s and 80s. And he was also one of the founding members of the Brethren Movement, the movement that would give birth to Chowdean Church. So he is indirectly the reason that you are here today. Uh, him and the work of others that gave birth to the movement that gave birth to us here today. But he's not most remembered for those things. He's most remembered for his work with orphans. Uh, so in 1836, when he was still a young man, he started looking after orphans in his own home. He just took a few of them in one day. But by the 26th of May, 1880, he was looking after 1,722 children across five different sites. By the time of his death, he had looked after 10,024 orphans. He had set up 177 schools, and he educated over 120,000 children. 
During his lifetime, the greatest criticism made of George was that he was raising the poor above their natural station. They were going ahead of themselves, and he was giving them hope. This was a man who was a preacher. He was an evangelist. He toured the world for 17 years and set up that, that organization which distributed Christian material all around the world to many different languages. But he was also a man who was filled with compassion for the pain of those around him. He was filled with love for the poor and for the needy. And I think he was a man who followed Jesus' footsteps and whose impact is still found today in the world. Unfortunately, I think that the church sometimes fails to follow his example, though. Because I think in, in, in the church today, not this church necessarily, but in the worldwide church, we tend to convince ourselves that we can do one of two things. We can either have compassion for the sick and the poor, or we can preach the gospel and call people to repent. Because many people today believe that we should downplay preaching, downplay uh, moral teaching or, or the gospel or preaching from the word, and instead we should prioritize our social action. Instead of having the word preached, instead of having evangelistic events in arenas, we should uh, concentrate mainly on, on healing the sick and praying for them and for kind works of charity. These are people who rightfully noticed that Jesus spent time healing, spent time um, praying for the sick and seeking miracles. So they do the same. And that's right that they do that. It's right that they seek to, to change the world with, with charity, with social action, with political reform. They see the teaching of Jesus and they go, yeah, I want to help people. So they go and do it. And there are also many people who say the exact opposite. They say, surely we should prioritize people's souls. We shouldn't care too much about their physical needs because really it's their souls that matter. That's the things that matter to God after all. So we should preach repentance. And then if we have the time, we should heal them and take care of them. And to be honest, at times I have a tendency towards that view. But then I look at the kingdom of God as portrayed in Matthew 4, and I see Jesus doing both. He's caring for the sick, for the needy. And he's also preaching repentance. He's doing both, just like George did both. I see a king who calls for repentance, but I also see a king who cares for the physical needs of his people because he's a good king. And when I look out into the world today, I see a world in desperate need of both of those things. Because there is great evil in the world today. The church needs to call this world to repentance. It needs to challenge evil everywhere it can and say there is a better way. It needs to challenge evil and invite people to follow God. But there is also great physical need out there as well. And that too should not be left unchallenged. Now, I'm not asking you to start an orphanage this afternoon. Um, I'm not asking you to, to go rent St. James's Park and by 6 p.m. this evening have it filled with people for an evangelistic rally. If you can do that, you know, talk to me. We can sort something out. But I'm not asking you to do those things. I'm just asking you to look for opportunities to serve God's kingdom in these ways. Look for opportunities in both your work and your personal life to tell people about God and share that invitation to them, to invite them onto a better path. 
but also look for opportunities in your work and in your personal life to care for the person who is sick and the suffering, to care for the people who have physical needs. Look for them and serve them. And let us remember just how broad the good news of the kingdom is, that it cares for the sinner, it cares for the sick and the suffering. Uh, Does the band want to come back up? Let me close today by reading from uh, Matthew 5, verses 3 to 10. I'm going to read it as as a prayer over us today. Uh, These are the famous words of the Beatitudes that talk about the people who are blessed by the arrival of the kingdom. So let us pray. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who walk for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Father, today help us remember that the kingdom is good news for all. In Jesus' name, amen.